Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the corn and make it plentiful, and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field, so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds, and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. Our second reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 2. That can be found on page 1159. Two Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 14, reading through to chapter 3, verse 6. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many We do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Good evening, Ali. Thank you for reading for us. Do keep your Bibles open at that second reading from 2 Corinthians. We'll be spending most of our time 
uh, there tonight. As we turn to God's word, let's pray. Father, we would admit together tonight that we need your help as we come to your word. We uh, need your help to understand it, but not just to understand it, but to believe it and to be changed by it and to leave here tonight as changed people. Please help me as I preach to be faithful to your word. Please help all of us as we engage with your word to do so earnestly and urgently. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. In my first year at university, I decided to take up rowing. I had uh, never rowed before. I was relatively unfit. I hate early mornings. And at the lofty height of five foot and six inches and three quarters, I wasn't the natural lanky build of a rower. So it was a a surprising choice. Uh, Why would a short, unfit guy who who hates early mornings take up rowing? Because for some reason, in my first year at uni, rowing was the thing to try. Everyone was doing it. They they were giving rowing a shot. And because everyone was giving it a go, I I found myself being sucked in to the rowing crowd because popularity draws a crowd. It's why TV producers are quick to publish strong viewing figures. If lots of people are watching the Bake Off, well, word spreads, and even more people start watching Bake Off. Popularity draws a crowd. Our politicians know this just under four weeks to go until the general election, and there'll be lots of polls coming out in the coming weeks about how various parties are doing. And um, politicians will be seeking to, to show us how the polls are hinting that they are the ones who are gaining support, that they are the popular ones, not just to try to predict the outcome of the election, but they know that if they can show the public that they are the popular vote, then even more people will vote for them. You see, popularity draws a crowd. Now, it doesn't really matter if we start rowing or watching the big off simply because that is what everyone else is doing. That's no harm done. It matters more when it comes to voting. But tonight, as we turn back to 2 Corinthians, we're going to see that if we make decisions about Christ and the gospel based on the popular vote, we are headed for disaster. And yet that is exactly what the Corinthians were in danger of doing. Things had started so well for the Corinthians, they had accepted Paul's message about Christ, but now, some years on, the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians was under great strain because Paul's popularity ratings were taking a nosedive. In worldly first century Corinth, the style and content of Paul's ministry looked so weak and unimpressive, people were turning away from him to more attractive options, and because popularity draws a crowd... The Corinthians were being sorely tempted to turn away from Paul as well. It's saying today, perhaps what, I don't know, about 5% of the people in this country actively profess faith in Christ, which means that on any given day as we walk through Broomhill or as we go to our classes or to the office, 95 out of 100 people that we rub shoulders with will be believing completely different things about God and the world from us. To be a Christian in this nation today is to stand out against the crowd. It is not the popular vote. And there'll be great pressure on us to move away from Christ, to move away from Paul, the apostle of Christ, 
and to go the way of the popular crowd. And so we need to hear the words from Paul from 2 Corinthians tonight. We saw last week how Paul had begun to defend himself as a genuine apostle of Christ. And his defense continues tonight in our passage as he urges the Corinthians and us not to give up on him, for he is the authentic apostle. To give up on Paul is to give up on Christ. So tonight, why should we stick with Paul in a world that has given up on him? Two points. First of all, the authentic message about Christ always brings division. Look at how Paul begins uh, this section, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us, that is Paul, in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Thinking back to last year, I guess many of us probably watched uh, the events in Rio as the Olympics unfolded. Team GB had a brilliant Olympics. Uh, many happy hours watching the team do well. And um, after the whole thing was done, uh, the whole team was brought back to this country in great honor and glory. And there was a, a massive parade in Manchester to honor the whole team. There were 150,000 people who turned out to honor this successful team. And in that kind of victory procession, everyone is a hero. Everyone is honored for being part of a great team. But that is not the kind of procession Paul is talking about in verse 14. Almost certainly he has in mind a first century Roman victory procession. Uh, following a mighty conquest, uh, a general would return back home um, in great honor. And to proclaim his greatness, he would have a victory procession, a triumph. And um, the, the general would be at the front of the triumph. And as he would pass through the city, behind him would be a parade of his enemies who had been conquered. His prisoners coming in chains in scorn and humility. That's how a triumphal procession took place in the Roman world. And the prisoners at the back of the queue were kept alive for the sole purpose of displaying the victor's glory. That's the kind of procession Paul is talking about. Verse 15, Christ is the victorious leader. At the cross and resurrection, he conquered every foe, including sin and the devil. But where does Paul the apostle fit into the procession? Not at the front in the place of glory. No, he is behind following in weakness and humility, a prisoner kept alive for the sole purpose of displaying the victor's glory. It is a shocking picture. And I think this must be how the picture works because uh, in Paul's other letter in 1 Corinthians, he picks up the same moment and he says this in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9. He says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to death in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe. For Paul, an apostle of Christ, his place in the triumphal procession is at the back, a prisoner to be mocked and jeered by the watching crowds as the procession moves by. But why is this Paul's experience? <laughs> is it because he's annoying? Is he like, like the kind of person in the office who has a knack for getting under everyone's skin? Is that why he's mocked and jeered? No. Verse 14 ends. And through us, apostles, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him, that is Christ. 
just as a person wearing strong perfume walks into a room and the, the smell of the perfume wafts around the room and everyone gets a whiff of it. So too, whenever Paul walks into a room, he spreads the aroma of Christ as he preaches about Christ. And this is why Paul has become such an object of scorn. Verse 15. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. You see, vertically, in God's eyes, Paul is the aroma of Christ. That's a beautiful thing. But on a, on a horizontal level, the picture is much more divided. Verse 16, to the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. Many years ago, I lived with a friend called Dave. At one point, over the course of a couple of days, we both started to smell a funny smell in the sitting room. I thought for a while it might be Dave, and I didn't want to say anything. It was too embarrassing. Uh, it turns out Dave thought it might be me, and he didn't say anything. He was too embarrassed. But the smell got so bad that eventually we had to say something, and we had a chat, and it was neither of us. We opened the windows and the doors, but the smell got worse and worse, and we just could not work out where it was coming from. It was dreadful. One night I came back late, and it turned out Dave had had enough of the smell, There were floorboards everywhere. He'd been hunting around for it, and he had found it. There under the floorboards was a dead rat, decomposing. The smell of death, it was revolting, repulsive. Thankfully, Dave dealt with it before I got back. Um, But as Paul preaches Christ, he is like the stench of death to many who hear him. That is why he is jeered and mocked and pushed away as he processes by following Christ. The authentic message about Christ always brings division. We see this happening today when Paul's message about Christ is preached. I remember as a student, um, people would, um, some of my friends in the Christian Union, um, they would put up uh, posters, hand out flyers to events to come to hear about Christ. Posters torn down, Flyers torn up, um, signs put up mocking those who speak of Christ. There was a a particular group of students who started a a campaign to um, block the Christian Union from meeting in student building premises because they were so offended by the message of of Christ being proclaimed by the student union. It wasn't sort of lazy um, kind of lukewarmness. This was active hostility, repulsion, at the message of Christ. The smell of death. People hated it. There'll be many here tonight who've experienced something of that. Social media, um, Facebook, Twitter, lots of comments, not just sort of slightly disgruntled with Christians, but, but angry, put off strongly by the message of Christ. And many here will have experienced it with our friends, schoolmates, course mates, colleagues, family. As we speak about Christ, people are profoundly put off by what they hear. Of course, the response is not all negative. To others, the preaching of Christ is it's like a fragrance far more wonderful than the smell of a freshly baked bread or, or brewed coffee. It, the smell of life. As they hear about the death and resurrection of Jesus, as they hear about the gracious offer of of life in his name, 
that comes through repentance and faith, they realize this is the very best news in the world. If we've been a Christian a little while, I think it's easy to lose the wonder of life that comes in Christ. We become perhaps familiar with it, but if we've ever had the joy and privilege of a close friend of ours becoming a Christian and watching them experience for the first time the wonder of grace, the joy of forgiveness, the certainty of hope in Christ, it's just wonderful to see the fragrance, the fragrance of Christ bringing life to someone we know. It's a beautiful thing. And so it is an extraordinary thing that the same message about Christ can provoke such strongly different reactions. It's a bit like Marmite. The same pot of black, gooey substance can be for some people a source of great joy and for others the source of great revolt. So too Paul's message about Christ And so we can see why Paul asks his question in verse 16. Who is equal to such a task? He wants to go around commissioned to spread a message which will cause such strongly differing reactions of hatred and love, repulsion and attraction. And yet here is the job description of the apostle called to speak for Christ, spreading around the aroma of death for some and life for others. And of course, you wouldn't be this kind of apostle if you were in it for the popularity. That's his point in verse 17. He says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. I think Paul's referring to others around in Corinth. We've met them already, the super apostles, people setting themselves up as alternatives to Paul, impressive in the eyes of the world, preaching about Christ, but a very different Christ from Paul, a Christ that doesn't have the aroma of death about the message, a Christ which doesn't put people off, that is attractive to everyone. And there is great pressure today to preach that kind of Christ. We love the popular vote We don't want to be the kind of people who put so many others off. I um, I read an article in a a national paper from last week containing an interview with a vicar who is arguing in the article that it is incredibly damaging for the church in this country to be out of step with the world on the key issue of sexual morality. He says a change must come. The, The church must follow the world and blend in. It is tempting to give up on Paul, to give up on the kind of Christ he preaches because we don't want to have to have this kind of role of dividing people so strongly. But Paul won't give up. He is not in gospel ministry for good approval or for people to think much of him. No, he speaks before God with sincerity, telling the truth like it is, even if it offends And so for the Corinthians, considering walking away from this weak and embarrassing apostle, Paul would say, don't you realize, Corinthians, that the authentic message about Christ always brings a divided response? That's just the way it is. And so don't be unsettled when the world is divided about Paul as he preaches Christ. 
And I think for us, it's very easy to see the application tonight for us here in Sheffield. If we want to stick with Paul, who uh, preaches Christ, then we are going to have to align ourselves with a prisoner at the back of the procession, with the one who is mocked and weak in the world's eyes, with the one who carries about him the smell of death to so many in the world, and it won't be easy. Certainly a challenge to those who preach here at Fullwood to go on preaching the message of Christ handed down to us by Paul without changing it to make it more palatable for the world. But a challenge for all of us to encourage preachers to go on preaching the faithful message about Christ, but also in each of our relationships. Tomorrow morning as we go from here in our class, in our lecture hall, in our office, to be willing to follow in Paul's footsteps, to speak up for the authentic message about Christ, knowing that for many, as we speak, it will carry about it the whiff of death. But also knowing that for some, they will hear it and smell the fragrance of life. The authentic message about Christ always brings division. Second, and this uh, final point will be a, a bit shorter than the first. The authentic ministry of Christ brings transformation. This is looking at chapter three, verses one to six. A little while ago, Lauren and I needed some work done on the house, and we wanted to find a reliable builder who would do a, a good, decent job for us. And uh, if you ever try to find a builder, it is tricky. You don't want to get someone who's going to do a bad job. You just want a good, honest day's work. How do you find a good builder? Well, one way is to ask around your friends to see if they've had any work done in their house. And if the builder that they had did a good job, then you've got a reference, haven't you? You can say, well, if they've done a good job there, there's a chance that they'll do a good job with me. It's a good way of picking a builder, isn't it? That's how reference works. And I think a similar dynamic is going on here at the start of chapter three. The Corinthians are trying to work out if they can trust Paul the Apostle. It seems the issue of a reference has come up. If Paul could just produce a letter from someone else confirming that he is a good and reliable apostle, it would make things so much easier for the Corinthians to stick with him. In fact, it seems that 3 verse 1, there are others around in Corinth who already have their letters of recommendation to wave around. I think Paul's referring in verse 1 to these super apostles. They come with glowing references from lots of people. Oh, they are brilliant. They're preaching, the way that they conduct themselves, they're just top-notch apostles. You can trust them. What about Paul? Can we trust him as an apostle? Has he got any references that we can go to to see if he's worth listening to? Paul's response is remarkable. He does, he does have a letter of, rep, of recommendation, but it's not what they were expecting. Verse 2. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Paul is talking about the Corinthian church. The fact that they exist at all as Christians is an indication of Paul's authenticity as a minister of Christ. Verse three helps to explain what Paul means. 
you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You see, through Paul's ministry, the Corinthians have experienced a heart transformation that could only have happened if Paul's ministry were indeed from Christ. In our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel, written many centuries before, we heard a promise that one day God would work among his people in a new way. He would cleanse them from their sin. He would give them new hearts. He would, give, he would do this by his spirit. In the past, God had given his people his, his law, the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone that came through Moses, a good law, but a law the people could not keep. Their hearts just weren't able to live that way. And so what was good brought death and condemnation. But a time would come when God would take away the, the stone hearts of his people and give them hearts of flesh, able to follow his ways with the help of the Spirit. And now here comes Paul, many centuries later, preaching about Christ, and the hearts of the Corinthians are changed. And Paul says, look at how much you've changed. The great longings of the Old Testament, the longings for a new heart, for a work of the Spirit to bring about real transformation. It has happened amongst you as I have preached to you about Christ. And so Paul concludes in verse 6. He, that is God, has made us, that is Paul, competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In two weeks' time, when we next come back to 2 Corinthians, we'll think much more about this new covenant and how it is different from the covenant of Moses. And it is wonderful. Do come back in two weeks' time. But for now, Paul's point is clear. He does have a letter of recommendation. The Corinthians who have come to trust in Christ and who have been transformed by the work of the Spirit in their hearts. And this could only happen if Paul's ministry was an authentic ministry of Christ, bringing about real heart transformation. Now we need to be careful. Paul is not saying that these dear Corinthians are now perfect. (laughs) Far from it. As we read through the letter, we'll discover he's not slow in pointing out where they need to keep on growing But he is saying they've changed. Their hearts are different. The super apostles of Paul's day, they might be so impressive with their rhetoric and their worldly wisdom, but these super apostles cannot bring about this kind of heart change that Paul has been able to, sent by Christ with the power of the Spirit as a minister of the new covenant. So what does this mean for us here in Sheffield 2,000 years later? Well, it means brilliant news. It means that we can be confident Paul is an authentic minister of Christ because we have a letter of commendation. The Corinthians, they can testify to how Paul has been at work amongst them brilliantly on behalf of Christ to change their hearts. And if they have been changed so to us. 
as we stick with Paul here at Forward, God will be at work amongst us by his spirit, changing our hearts, giving us power to believe and obey. I look out at a room tonight full of Christians who have put their trust in Christ as Paul has revealed him. And you're being changed. I know you are. The spirits that work in your hearts, helping you to have new desires, new loyalties, new convictions, new abilities to fight sin. And it's wonderful to see the body of Christ being changed by the message of Christ and the power of the Spirit. We're not very good, I think, often at seeing the change in ourselves. I think it's easier to spot change in others. But um, again, if we've had the chance to see a person we know well move from death to life, to move from being uh, without the Spirit to having the Spirit, to, to being before understanding Christ, to after understanding Christ. If we've seen them move through that process and see the transformation, it is wonderful to see a fresh joy, a, a new desire to, to not sin anymore, a, a, a fresh clarity about what the purpose of life is, a desire to love and serve other Christians, Lots of hallmarks of a changed life, the fruit of the Spirit at work as they have come to understand the message of Christ. And so as I finish, let's stick with Paul. It might, in fact, it will make us profoundly unpopular. But it is worth it. The world spends thousands of pounds on hobbies and homes and holidays, trying to find life. There are hundreds of self-help books out there about anger and stress and how to be a better person, but they won't bring life and transformation. Not apart from Christ, not in any real life-changing way. But to be a Christian, to cling on to Paul's message about Christ, is to be someone in the grip of the Spirit, being transformed with life coursing through us. Let's stick with Paul. Let's pray. Father, we do feel in our hearts the, the tug of the desire to be popular, to follow the crowd. And we also feel the cost of speaking up for Christ in a world that has walked away from Christ. So Father, please help us, we pray, to be the people you'd have us to be, to be a people who, who cling on to the message of Christ that we find in your word. Thank you, Father, for the wonderful ministry of the new covenant, the work of your spirit in our hearts to bring about real transformation the kind of work we can find nowhere else in the world. And so we ask tonight that you'd help us. Please, would you be at work to change us, even tonight, as we face a new week, help us to stand up for Christ, to experience the power of his spirit at work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.